0: You're now Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Whether you're working in a technical product or you're working in an internal analytics capacity or data science capacity, my guest today I think is going to shed some light for you on how design and user experience can help turn data and insights into action and valuable services. John is the VP of product at Cloud Health, and I thought this episode would be interesting for two reasons. One, because when you're managing cloud infrastructure, there is a lot of data flying around and insights need to be directed arrive from this information And cloud health wouldn't have a business if they weren't able to create a useful product out of all of this information regarding cloud. And secondly, because I know many of the uh, internal analytics leaders and data scientists, perhaps listening to this show are probably using on-prem storage compute as well as cloud. And so I thought this was kind of a double header, so to speak, or a two for one to get some uh, insights into how John is making his cloud product useful and as well as the processes he's using to make his product indispensable. So here's my conversation with John Purcell, the VP of Product at CloudHealth. Welcome back to Experiencing Data. Um, today, I'm I'm happy to have John Purcell on the line, who is the uh, VP of Product over at CloudHealth. Um, John, are you there? I am, Brian. Great. Uh, well, welcome uh, to the show. And I'm really excited to talk to you a little bit about what you guys are doing with uh, data products and cloud stuff, and everyone's talking about cloud and moving their hardware into the, the ether.
1: <laughs> how, <laughs> it's good to be with you.
0: Yeah. How, how are things uh, going over there, and, and can you tell our audience a little bit about uh, what, what you're up to uh, in terms of uh, creating useful products about cloud health?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's a fascinating time here at cloud health. Uh, I just just to, by way of intro, you know, cloud health has been around since late, 2012 and really 2013 is sort of when we broke, on, broke into the marketplace. And, and really, we're focused on you know, companies that are either you know, launching their own applications and services directly in the public cloud or are going through some sort of a transition or transformation and moving, moving work from private data centers into the public cloud for various reasons. And so you know, our primary focus as a product and a platform is, is to help companies do that well uh, and make sure that when they are operating, and and uh, you know running their applications and services in the cloud, that they're doing it, it, it you know, efficiently, effectively, securely, uh, you know, and optimally, so to speak. So, so the core platform that Cloud Health has built up over the years uh, supports a number of different use cases around, you know, analyzing the data flowing out of that uh, to make sure uh, and giving insights and to help you make sure that you're doing it well so uh, so that's sort of where we've been and, and, and the journey we're on, and as you might imagine, as you sort of described it in your intro, you know it's, it's, uh, it's, it'' it doesn't feel new; it feels like it's been around for mm-hmm. for a while, but um, there are a tremendous amount of companies all over the world just sort of just getting to this point now and are still struggling with some of the same core problems that 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 companies that early adopters were struggling with six seven years ago
0: yeah i I actually happen to know. I know an independent consultant whose whole, he's turned his whole focus of his practice into, into simply helping companies with their reducing their AWS spend. Like that's how niche it is. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. there's probably other people like him doing the same with, you know, uh, other cloud providers and all of that. So it's it's definitely kind of a hot space. I thought it'd be kind of fun to have you on the show, partly because A, you are managing a, uh, a data and an insights uh, product, which is one of the things I like to talk about on the show, but also because... The, a lot of the listeners on this show are uh, also not people working in tech companies, but in non-tech companies in internal analytics, uh, data science roles, things like that. And so they're using, you know, a, probably a mixture of on-prem and cloud services. And so they might get something kind of ladder, you know, on the side, just out of what your business is doing as well. But uh, I obviously would like to chat with you about how do you turn this product into, you know, as I like to call it, an indispensable data product where you can't live without it. So, what what's the biggest challenge with with making cloud health valuable to your customers, and, and how do you guys tackle that?
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's you know some that directly or some form of that question or some derivative of that question is really what we what we spend a lot of our time doing on a day-to-day basis as a product group and as a, you know, as a, as a product design function, I would sort of break it down in two ways. And this is not necessarily a new problem in terms of how to attack this uh, as a, as a product company. Uh, but it just, ha- it just happens that the focus area, the paradigm has shifted as, as, as focus has shifted to the cloud. And the problem has, as I think become, you know, more complex. I think the way, the way we, if I could, if I could sort of set, set the table by, um, you know, sort of capturing it this way. We, we consider the, the, the movement to public cloud and the emergence and, and, and growth in public cloud as, as perhaps the most disruptive tech innovation that's happened in the IT industry maybe ever, right? Um, certainly since the early days of, of personal computing or, or just computing period. Uh, but if you think back over the last 10 or 20 years, we, we sort of see this as one of the most disruptive uh, uh, you know, waves or movements, and and it's it's disruptive in many different ways. Uh, it's disruptive to old models for sure, and old operating models. But it's disruptive purely because of the complexity and the different forms of complexity that it introduces. the The, the concept of sprawl and and, and broad based complexity is is really hard to get your head around, and so that's why it led to the formation of cloud health, really, because a lot of the traditional tool sets and and products that that have you know grown up you know emerged and grown up and seen success in the you know in the last 10 or 20 years just haven't they don't seem that fit for purpose in in the cloud space and that's really what led to uh, to Joe Kinsella sort of originally forming the company and so at its core to your point you know cloud health is a data analytics platform that that gathers and ingests Data from a variety of sources in and around your cloud infrastructure and your cloud ecosystem. It aggregates, stores, and classifies that data in a variety of different ways. And then it sort of allows you to, to, to do several things with, with the output of that. Um, number one, you can simply just display it and report on it. And hey, here's some insights that you know you're looking for, and here's how, here's what we found. Or alternatively, you can have the platform just take action for you and you know, on an automated basis or or plugged into some sort of a, you know, of a, of a workflow where there is a little bit of human or operator intervention. So, so the concept itself is not new. This concept of data collection, aggregation, you know, analysis and, and output or, or action is not that new. Uh, what makes it difficult is just the, the, the size, variety, and non-uniformity of the data sets that are flowing in from from the different parts of the ecosystem, and so as a as a question of, you know, how do you build a product or a platform that fits in in that world, and then you know, caters to a, a number of different personas that, that that care to find the answers to those questions. Um, you know, from a, from a persona perspective, we're we're trying to build for everybody from the financial analyst that wants to know where the spend is coming from you know down to the individual or team level all the way to the to the devops operator who who is trying to make smart decisions about where to place work so that it adheres to budget expectations and so forth so 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 that that's where the you know, i think that's where as a product and a design team we we spend a lot of time is trying to determine what's the right way to either display that data in a way that's insightful and flexible enough to be you know, to be controlled? And B, how do we plug it in as a, as an issue of workflow and take more of a platform approach to say the data is here, the data is aggregated and classified, and you can extract it and do interesting things yourself with it, right? So so that's where we spend a lot of our time as a product and design team.
0: Having worked on with with actual storage companies uh, in the past, I, I can relate to some of these uh, th- these challenges here, and I'm curious if some of them Continue to exist uh, in the cloud space when you're not managing the hardware yourself. One thing I really liked that you said was that you've tied some of the analytics to uh, some auto, some level of automation uh, and workflow and action. And so, this is something we talk about a lot on this show: is that you know, with with analytics and and decision support tools if there's no action and decisions being made at the end then you're kind of you're back to the metrics toilet thing where you're just spitting out stuff and it's not it's not really providing value to anybody if they're not willing to take action on it so connecting that dot between this is insightful information to the logical next step you might want to do is x y or z maybe automating that maybe it's a handheld process where we just queued up the task you just have to hit the go button or make some tweaks but you don't need to like start from scratch, you know, with this information. So, is it is it a challenge? Well, a is that right? And B is it a challenge to figure out how to uh, how much to automate and how much to give control, like feature level control and settings control to the user? Because this was uh, in the on-prem storage world, that was always a challenge that that flexibility versus automation and quote simplicity. Some some DevOps, some IT people don't like the system taking action without them being involved cause they don't trust that any product would be smart enough to make <laughs> all the right decisions and they don't want apps coming down. And like, so can you talk about that flexibility, uh, versus automation piece is that does that sound like a familiar pain or is that not so much how it is now for you?
1: No, it's it's uh, it resonates to a significant degree, uh, Brian. <laughs> it really does, you know. And, and I think the um, sort of change or the or the 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 new components of that challenge really flow from the fact that you know the the beauty of the cloud or or, or the public cloud and the, the sort of the the contract that we enter into in the when we choose to consume. You know, or place work in the public cloud is that when I need more, you'll give me more, right? So when I need more compute, you'll give me more compute. If I need more memory or storage, you'll give that to me, and I can have that in a matter of seconds, right? And that's always been the promise of the public cloud. It, you know, companies, companies don't transition to public cloud consumption because it's more cost-effective, Right, it's it's just a fallacy. I think that's that's that has formed at times or in certain pockets of the market. It's not necessarily cheaper to do it in the public cloud. It it can offer flexibility and it can offer agility and acceleration and you know your ability to respond more more readily to competitive and market threats. Our market um, uh, dynamics is is really I think what the public uh, cloud uh, brings, and it also offloads this notion of if I don't if I don't have to manage my infrastructure. Um, I'm certainly not managing the hardware, but 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 this this idea that the management burden goes down just because I'm in the, I'm in the cloud is is also not true, right? So so that complexity uh, remains. So so all of this sort of contributes to a an environment that is rapidly changing and changing faster than infrastructure really ever changed, right? If if we think about the way you know compute, memory, and storage was provisioned 15 years ago. We're dealing with the old days of the sort of the hardware requisition form and the long lead times with IT. And I had to think when I'm capacity planning, I had to really be sure that I give myself enough headroom because once it's purchased and it's provisioned, then you know it's sort of fixed for for a longer period of time, whether that's months, quarters, or some in some cases even years. The, the issue with the cloud is I can get in now, dip my toe in the water, and then tomorrow I can expand. The next day I can expand, and before I know it. I can I can be using twenty five different services, you know, uh, from from AWS, for example, and consuming them to a large degree and incurring cost in various different ways that I hadn't been before. And that's all, by the way, decentralized, right? That's that's distributed across an organization. So you can see now where the sort of the the dimensions of movement, right, or, or the or the dimensions of change, just uh, just scale up quite dramatically. And so you know, back to your sort of your your original point, connecting data uh, analysis to insight, that's what we're looking for. The problem is that the core data sets are changing so quickly and they're, you know, they're, um, they're not uniform, right? And they're not fixed. And, you know, AWS prides itself on its ability to, to develop two, 200, 300 new services a year that, that, are, that are designed to sort of r- remove the complexity. Like don't, go, don't go manage your own database. Just, you know, just leverage an AWS service to go do that, right? And so the problem is they all have their, you know, many of them have their own cost structure, um, you know, cost metrics, cost drivers, et cetera, you know, operational um, structure, and there are various different tools that go along with that to tell you, or you, do, you know, that monitor those services. So as a data collection point, as a data aggregation point, those data sets look different. Um, and so that's where if I think you know, one of, uh, as an issue of data analysis and insight, I think that's probably where our, our biggest, uh, the biggest point of, of complexity and the biggest point of challenge for us is trying to make sure that the platform is flexible enough to be able to inject data sets we've never seen before and to be able to analyze and find correlations between unknown data sets that we may not have a high degree of familiarity with so that we can generate insight that's actionable, but deliver it in a way that, that I can, if I'm a finance person, I don't need to know what it all means. I just need to know what it costs. Or from a DevOps point of view, I can actually take action. And, and maybe, you know, sort of the last point I'll make here, and this is to your question about, about trust um, in an environment that isn't changing that rapidly or that dynamically, you know, um, I'm, again, thinking back to the days of more fixed sort of IT infrastructure, um, you know, uh, this, where the surface area wasn't changing that and the surface, um, uh, diversity wasn't, wasn't changing that much. Uh, I'm, I'm quite willing or I'd be more willing, we found to just allow automation to sort of take hold and I can inspect it. I can trust it, but that, that trust curve follows the same path. Let me see the recommendations you're making. Let me go validate that the math looks right and that the action looks right. And then over time, I'm just going to go ahead and let you just take the action for me. Um, and in the cloud, we're just at the very early stages of that um, from a pure DevOps point of view. We're still in the world of um, show me your math. Show me why this is the recommendation you're making. Super early adopters, you know, advanced, advanced adopters are, are starting to really embrace automation more and more but that is you know broad based adoption of that as a concept i personally believe is years away
0: is it because that trust to me would be built when you can suggest that you know here's this prescriptive action we recommend that you take the risk is understood the it person tries it and there's a successful outcome that's to me how you build trust over time and are are you saying that the current state of cloud is such that it's, it's not that simple yet. Like it's not, it's not possible to produce that prescriptive of an action or it creates additional work. Like, yep, we can shut down this service, but, but you'll have to figure out what to do after that. And we can automate the shutdown or, you know, stop, we can stop the money from flowing out of your (laughs) bank account, but we have no idea how to like what to do with the data, where it will go. It'll just disappear. Like, is that the issue where it's like it's it's not enough to help me just shut it down because there's X Y and Z follow up actions that must happen and so I won't do it? Is it-,
1: it? It's it's not, you know, it's not that difficult to identify. In fact, it's pretty trivial to identify what we call zombie instances in your infrastructure, uh-huh. right? Where you've spun up you've spun up a compute instance and it's been running with less than. Less than five percent CPU, no memory utilization, no no network I/O, and it's just it's very clear it's not being used, or or we can find, you know, an EBS storage volume that is is unattached to to an instance, a compute instance of any kind, and so it's just become it's just hanging out there, not doing anything, but but it's costing you money, right? So, it's fairly trivial to identify those things and to actually take action. Um, so that concept is not is not that that complex, and so that that's sort of one of the first areas that you see companies and customers willing to accept, you know, I'm going to give the platform the capability to go do that for me. Right. Um, It's, it's quite another, I think to sort of, you know, our platform allows you to make right sizing assessments and right sizing recommendations. So we can go, we can go profile the usage or utilization of, of a, of a, um, you know, of a service over time, and and then sort of come back to you and say, I think you're, I think you've spun this up on on a on a compute instance that you're overpaying for. You can right size to a to a smaller instance type, and save X percent of your monthly spend, and your your workload will be fine, right? Um, what we find quite often is because. I'll go back to what I said before because the 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 person or team responsible for creating that infrastructure can be anywhere in the organization. So a you got to find exactly where it came from, and that's not always trivial. B, you have to develop some form of workload awareness, uh, and quite often what we see is hey we can make we can make recommendations to change the size or type of your instances all day long, but but groups don't always, you know they'll quite often we hear well you know. Um, we need that headroom because of X, Y, or Z, profile, you, know, X, you know, component of the workload. There's spikiness or there's a certain type of service or app that we're running that needs that needs that headroom and we're provisioning and it's fine. So strategically or, or as a matter of business strategy, we need that, right? And so, you know, we need to sort of, and systems like Cloud Health need to develop a, a level of workload awareness where we can intuit that or, or discover that, um. Uh, before before these organizations will just say, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to let you right size infrastructure when you think you found a reason or an opportunity to do so," right? Um, so it's a combination of awareness of what's going on on in that instance, um, and also knowing where it's come from and what business context it's being used in across you know across larger and larger organizations.
0: Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. So this actually dovetails nicely into my next question. When we uh, originally uh, connected and talked about doing this podcast, I, I I noticed you said, quote, good UX can disrupt a market and build a business. And so I'm wondering, do you think that uh, the combination of user experience and product design practice as applied to these types of problems with workflows, does that enable you to start uh, providing more value? Does it take you from no one would ever trust us to do this to like, wow, like, it's so great you guys found these correlations and you can move this workload for me. And even if maybe I don't take the action today, it's I know where my zombies are. D- does design help you do that or not necessarily?
1: I have, I have religion around this. <laughs> I, I have, so to speak, right? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, so, yes. The short answer is yes. Um, a profoundly yes. If you think about, as I sort of was describing earlier, you know, cloud health is, is both... You know, in terms of in terms of what the user or the consumer of the of the of the of the you know the the, the user of the platform would you know um, from their point of view, Cloud Health is both a data presentation um, uh, product as well as an analytics and a, and a and a a sort of data ingestion and 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 export sort of sort of engine. And so, in my opinion, I think um, you know I think it's it's a little primitive to assume that UX is only applicable to the part that you can see above the waterline, and and it's it's the function that that determines what colors the bar charts should be, right. right? And and how big and how big the font should be. To me, the trap the trap you fall into is an, is assuming that that's what superior and, and advanced UX is. And in my opinion, it just you know I'm not saying anything revolutionary here to the certainly to the UX experts in your audience, but you, you really have to think about and we try to think about the ways in which advanced you know UX concepts, whether that be user research, workflow research and assessment, the connection between different stages, different functions, different areas of functionality in the product are stitched together to support a workflow or a use case. It's it's and so that's why we, you know, our, our UX team really needs to, you know, the, re, the individuals on that team really need to be as Knowledgeable in how the product is put together and how it works, how the platform works, as anyone in product management or in, or almost engineering, sir, you know they can go and and influence the way the product is, you know, spec designed, and, and implemented to a certain degree. So they're integral to to the entire workflow from a from a product delivery point of view. But I also think, I mean, it's so, again, it's it's <clears throat> there's maybe an obviousness to the to the notion that but by deliberately making the product present well. Right um, uh, to give it that sort of snazzy, sort of front end kind of experience, and and to make it feel contemporary and modern, and you know the old concept of don't don't make the user think, just kind of make the next steps obvious, and then, like know where they are in their workflow and make the next step obvious. Um, you know that's a, that's something we try to do certainly a lot of, but I also think there's a way to apply UX thinking into 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 the sort of I'll, I'll call it the platform side of this value proposition. So if you think about you know um, interacting with and driving a platform programmatically via API for example or programming against um, against the platform and the data sets, I personally think UX has a role to play there if you look at it as you know look at it as a developer experience and 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 the way you, the sort of environment you build them you build up around them to allow them to go do that to go experiment, um, whether it's things like the way we publish API documentation, the way we let you know developers try different parts of, of it, you know, dif- different interactions with the platform programmatically. To me, I think UX is just as applicable there. So, it's <clears throat> what we're trying to do, and we're not experts, of course, but you know, we have a a what I think is a hugely talented, immensely talented UX organization um, at Cloud Health, and and they're. We're really we've really only scratched the surface in 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 exploring ways to have the richness and, and sort of advanced UX thinking really infect the way we the way we design and deliver product and platform
0: I, I think the distinction you made between what I would call user interface design which is the kind of the surface layer buttons fonts colors all that stuff very important um, this often gets conflated in the world of analytics as being quote design like designing for analytics equals data visualization and user interface design. And, uh, as I think our audience is hearing from, from John here, it goes, it goes much beyond that. And yes, it can get into something like how do you design a great experience around API documentation? Where's the demo code? How do I run the demo? Like all of that, uh, can definitely, uh, be designed. I, I actually just read a great article from, uh, Cassie, uh, I think it's Kozyrkoff uh, is how she pronounces her last name, the chief decision scientist for Google. And she talked about how uh, I believe they were working on the TensorFlow uh, user interface and they brought in user experience design to help with that. And her article was about the combination of like data scientists working with UX on a product, a technical product for data scientists. The point being, you can you can design better experiences around engineering products. Uh, (laughs) that may not necessarily have what we think of as like a very colorful GUI or an analytics GUI. It's not a data product or whatever. There's definitely an experience that can be uh, imagined with the right stakeholders, the right subject matter people in the room. Um, That's very much what design is about is kind of connecting like real IT people that do this action all the time. And what is the finance person's interest in this? And what does the product management want to do from a from a value in like being on the front line, you know, a leadership thing, making the product indispensable. How do you connect the dots on that to make sure this, when someone sits down, you know, at their terminal and starts doing some task, they're not there for fun. They're logging in to do a task. Like what's that experience like? And, and is it seamless and is it hopefully invisible? Like I'm guessing most people don't want to be spending a lot of time looking at cloud health. They want to come in, they get, want to get their work done. And maybe maybe they walk away with like holy shit I just saved you know two hundred thousand dollars this month like I feel like a champion to my boss like those are the kinds of things we can uh, we can design for um, I don't does that <laughs> I guess that wasn't really a question it was just uh, me kind of reacting to some of the the stuff that you were saying but I, I I'm always curious how how leaders like yourself are looking at design as a way to kind of level up from just feature requirements and we need to present these data points because a finance person might want them. Well, but how does a finance person do their job? Right. Like how, and so maybe you could tell us a little bit, like, could you give us a use case, like in your product where maybe there was the old way of doing it, or you had like a proof of concept kind of stage and then you brought, you know, you had some design attention given to it and maybe you learned something from that process. like wow, we never knew that like, you know, the finance person was going to do X, Y, and Z or the DevOps person you know, had to do this pre-work before they would be willing to move a workload or something like that. Do you have any like, examples, you could, use cases you could talk about?
1: Yeah, so <laughs> again, you know, as, as, you've, as you've said a couple of times, there's so much to unpack here. And it's, it's something I just, you know, I have this, I don't know. uh, You know, some people would call it maniacal sort of point of view around this, and and it's not just from cloud health, by the way. I've sort of, I've learned it over the years, and I've observed how you know that the kind of value that UX can bring to the table uh, at at every stage of the of a of a product's lifecycle, every stage of a workflow, and have it avoid just being that. Oh, we need a wireframe that's going to guide us as to what this should look like when it ships. Right? It's, it's, it's such a primitive, you know, um, old, out, in my opinion, dramatically outdated point of view when, it, you know, when you start to think about the concept of design and, you, and then certainly UX design. And so let me attack the question this way. My core philosophy around this is that you need UX at the table early and at every step along the way as you're contemplating product delivery. And, and I, when I say early, I mean all the way sort of upstream at whether, whether you know, we would call it at the strategic phase, at the, at the identification of what you want to go tackle next. And the UX, the UX purists would tell you, yeah, of course you would do that because UX has got a, a significant user research, pain research sort of component to it. And again, I think, but, but I think that sort of flows through, uh, flows through every stage of the workflow. And so what we try to, you know, what we try to execute here what we've been trying to execute here is what, what I would call sort of pragmatic user experience design. And, and what I found is that quite often when you have an early stage technology company that has had a, a, a profound level of success and, and certainly in the B2B or in the enterprise space and, and even more pronounced in the IT space where you're, where you're solving hard problems. And, and we've already talked today about the kind of complexity that, that the public cloud realm Really introduces for, for the user population. Um, you tend to sort of, you know, you end up pursuing use cases, and you know, we got to just use this case for this particular user. And this this customer made this really great point that we hadn't thought about. So let's go attach attach that area of capability. And you just have this thing that grows and and has a, a massive amount of su- massive amount of success as a result. But when you look back on it, when you say, okay, we need to get serious about UX, and you bring the UX team, you form it around, and they go good Lord, how, do I, how can I even start to attack this problem? It's, it's, it's had five or six years' worth of its own life um, you know, before I can get to it. And so uh, I think we, you, you, know, you and I talked uh, before, Brian, about I had been looking for a leader, a senior-level accomplished UX leader to come join the team here and really start attacking that problem. And so I, I, I tried to approach it through this idea, as I mentioned, of, of pragmatic UX. And, and the idea here is you know, we have, for better or worse, we have a set of processes. We have a set of you know, uh, techniques that we're already using and have been using for a while to, to do pain discovery, to do requirement generation, spec generation, um, product implementation, et cetera, et cetera, all the way out to sort of shipping to, to, you know, to production. And that's happening at a at a high rate of velocity, high you know very fast cycle times, and so what it was important to me to go find the right UX um, experience leader who could come in, observe how the machine works today, and then sort of retrofit best practices to that machine, and that's the pragmatic component of it. Um, it's 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 a it's a it's a difficult pitch or a difficult sell to to join a company that's in that mode. And then try to just change change the workflow, change the, change the pipeline, change the way design is done fundamentally and academically from an academic point of view. And so the pragmatic point of view is, look, consider this a two- to three-year mission, right? And by the end of it, you'll, you know, we'll look back and say, gosh, we transformed the way, the way design interacts with every single stage of the workflow. But for now, let's find the places where we can influence those things. Uh, and my argument is that there are, there are points all the way along that workflow, all the way along that uh, software lifecycle that UX can influence. And so if I were to distill or some sort of summarize all of that, I personally believe that UX needs to be at, at the table whenever we're talking about product strategy, You know, pain identification, persona awareness, and who are we building for. Uh, all the way through to you know what should the how should the product approach solving this problem what should the product be capable of in order to solve this problem all the way out to user validation um, and uh, you know glad to say we have the right team and we have the right leader i think to do that um, and i'm I'm sort of thrilled to to see that come to life i'm I'm
0: happy that you guys uh, have found that and i think i think this what you talk about so so I think a lot of our audience are 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 not necessarily UX experts. Most of them, I, I think, are not designers at all. So, for those that that aren't listening to this, it's it's no different than right now. You know, I I hear frequently in my conversations with clients and just people in the industry, data. There's a lot of data scientists, for example, who just want to use the latest models and they want to work on model quality and predictive accurateness and all these kinds of things, but they're not thinking about like oh, how is someone going to use this model to make a decision? And will there be some business value created at the end? It's no different than than there are definitely designers out there who want to, like, quote, do the process exactly as it's supposed to be done, like textbook, the way it was taught, and when I got my master's in human-computer interaction or whatever. And the reality is different, right? As you said, you have a machine that's going, and it's probably not going to stop because someone has a theory about how it might be better. So typically my thing is you come in and you look for places to make small wins and eventually you're going to be like this designers can become that, that, that skill set is like a glue that kind of just seeps into everything. And the next thing you know, it's kind of all over the place and it's fully integrated and it it doesn't necessarily mean starting with this massive new way of doing things. It's something you can kind of slot in uh, to make change. Uh, happen in in positive ways, but part of that is is finding the right people, and it sounds like you've you've done that, which is great. but i, I, I it's it's interesting to know that you it seems like you find that that's relatively an indispensable part of your process is having user experience uh, considered in in my experience in the in the, in the industry, outside of the tech product world this is very much still a new thing. Um, the, there's, there's often quote report developers, tableau developers, uh, in, in places where they're not necessarily building internal tools. This concept of a UX person coming in to connect the dots is, is fairly new. So I'm, I'm hoping for those of you listening that are in a non-technical product, uh, space that you're, you're hearing how in this case, this product is for IT people, finance people, people that you probably have in your organization as well. And whether it's Tableau or it's cloud health loading in a browser, that part doesn't really matter. It's really about whether or not you want to connect data to actions that people actually take and hopefully you see business value result at the end of that. That's really what the design piece is about, at least from my perspective.
1: It 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 is Brian, and I think if if I were to sort of just for a moment, you know, um, you know, I'll take liberties here and just talk a little bit about kind of the, the vision, you know, that that we're trying to sort of pursue here. We see we see a future um, that not too far off where absolutely bona fide non technical people, right, or people who are not necessarily in in tech roles, whether they be um, i mean let's let's just simplify it and call it you know the, the person who's running a line of business right whether that's a gm or a you know a, a, some sort of business op, you know some sort of business operations role where you can abstract i mean the path we're on is one where we will absolutely have to abstract away all of the complexity associated with running an operating infrastructure and abstract that away from the person who just cares about attracting users converting users from trial to to commercial arrangements, delivering value, delivering use cases, and doing all of that while adhering to some sort of strategic operating plan where profitability or growth or top line, bottom line, et cetera, is important. And so the the world we see as we look out is one where all of the complexity associated with data aggregation, big data analysis, um, insight generation, automated action taking, Reporting—that's all just abstracted away—and then the line of business leader can say, "Here's the strategy I'm trying to execute with this application or this service. Just take care of it, right?" And and the 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 sort of growth and complexity that we talked about very early um, in the session today is, to me, you know, that's perpetual to some degree. That is just going to continue to grow and continuing to to, to gain momentum far beyond any human's capacity to imagine it, to manage it. And that sits at the core of of this platform vision, the only way, in my opinion, or certainly core to the way we will, um, we will be able to deliver on that vision to, to businesses is to make sure that um, I don't need a line of business leader to have, a, uh, to have an advanced degree in computing or an advanced degree in data analysis or know how to, you know, you know, has, has walked a mile in the shoes of a DevOps professional. We, we shouldn't need that to be able to make these kinds of decisions. And UX is such a profound way to make, to, to make that possible.
0: I think that's a, that's a great closing thought here and uh, we're, we're getting up on our time, but is, is, is there any, I, just two last questions for you. Um, is there a single takeaway you would give to an audience here that's, again, we, we do have a mix of probably some technical uh, tech products, uh, product management leaders. Uh, But we also have our internal analytics practitioners and, uh, you know, CDOs, CXO, uh, those types of people, data scientists. Is there any uh, closing advice, like if there was one thing that they could do to make their services uh, better that you might recommend?
1: You know, one of the things I mentioned earlier is is how... The, the world of, of, of cloud adoption or, or placing workloads in you know, multiple clouds where at the end of the day, in, a, you know, in the near future, you won't care where it goes so long as it supports the strategy you're trying to execute. If, if that's the backdrop that, that we're sort of operating against, then it's worth noting that there are very, very few companies in the world today. You know, probably less than 5% would be my guess that are doing this, you know, what we might consider right, right? Or certainly who are, who are you know, advanced in their way of execution and, and sort of start to look like or are starting to model that kind of behavior. Right, we, have, we have this concept we use in our, in our you know, in our, in our customer interactions that we call our maturity curve. And it just represents the stages that a, a company might go through in its adoption of public cloud. And, and, and the vision I described sort of sits all the way to the top right. And there are very, very few companies who are there. And so it's messy. It's ugly. It's awkward. We spend a lot of money. Companies spend a lot of money, sometimes by mistake. And, and, you know, as much as you think you've tuned this thing, the landscape is changing so quickly. What you think you've got right today will be out of date tomorrow or next week. And so as a sort of a thought or, a, you know, my guidance would be, you know, um, don't sweat that right? You've, you've got to just accept the fact that nobody's really doing it right or really nailing it. Everybody's trying to figure this out together and, and you know, just ask. And we, we think we're in a good position to help companies figure that out, um, you know, uh, but, but but equally companies can learn from each other. But the first thing to acknowledge is that we're not that far behind, right? You're not that far behind no matter where you think you are.
0: Well, I think that's good. We kind of have this whole theme of like, you know, theory versus practical, right? In in this, this episode. So I think that's a great closing note that, you know, it's very much about the journey and the process, uh, as much as getting to some theoretical (laughs) perfection.
1: (laughs) So yeah,
0: well, great. Um, Can you tell us, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you? Are you uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, any type of uh, place if someone wanted to get in touch with you to learn more?
1: Uh, Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, of course, Uh, John Purcell. Uh, uh, I'm on Twitter at Purcell Outdoors Okay. Uh, various other places, but those are probably the two primary places you'll find me.
0: Great. Well, I will definitely add those to the show links. And uh, man, John, it's been great to talk to you uh, here about cloud and and product design and user experience today and and making uh, data uh, accessible and
1: insightful. So thanks for coming on the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Brian. And thanks for your time and, and uh, enjoy the conversation. Great. All right. Well, cheers.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag ExperiencingData. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit DesigningForAnalytics.com podcast.